All right. If you wouldn't mind finding your seats. Shouldn't be difficult. You can see them, so you shouldn't have trouble finding them. Well, it's good to see everybody again this morning. It's been a little bit... uh, Thank you. Somebody say, it's so weird not to have Hinman's at church. And I said, it was weird not to be at church. Um, You know, I I didn't really miss home. And when you're in Florida, you don't really miss cold. But I did miss... My church family. Um, I did miss seeing you guys. Um, well, maybe most of you I missed seeing. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. No, I missed seeing all of you. This morning, we're going to continue on our series, Crazy Love. And I'm going to um, start out with a verse that I don't know if it's familiar to you or not. It's, it's a verse that's very familiar to me, uh, only because... I don't know, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, the school that I went to was a private school, and we had to memorize James chapter 1, that that whole chapter. And I think that it was fantastic because I know myself as a child and I would not have memorized it on my own so that I had to get graded on it. Um, I actually learned it. And it's been a fantastic chapter. If you're ever looking for a chapter to memorize, James chapter 1 is a good one. Um, I I can't tell you how many times God has been able to use different scriptures in that particular chapter for me to be able to share with people. It's a very good good chapter. Um, So I'm going to start with that this morning in James chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this. A double-minded man is unstable... In all of his ways. Now the the earlier verses are talking about faith and the things that we believe, and that we we believe this yet we don't do this, and so we're we're walking down a path and we're going to go left, but maybe not. Maybe we should go right. It's it's double mindedness. There's uncertainty. And and what God is saying is, listen, I don't want you to be wishy washy. I don't want you to be uncertain. In the things of God, I want you to have confidence. I want you to have certainty. And so this morning we're going to talk about the fact that we need to be singularly focused. Um, when we are ex- uh, excessively focused on a single topic, that's the definition of the word obsessed. So in essence, and it just so happens that that's the title of this chapter in the book, is is. Um, being obsessed with Jesus or being obsessed with the things of God. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to unpack that idea. Has anybody ever known someone to be obsessed with something? What? What were they obsessed with? With cars. Having the biggest, fastest, most expensive car. What was, what was over here? Star Wars. I do also know people obsessed Nothing. <laughs> Julie, with Apple products. Okay. 
Mm, you catch that? Obsessed with holding on to things in the past that need to be gotten rid of. <laughs> I, I knew that they <laughs> I was <laughs> obsessed with money. What else are people obsessed with? Chasing fire trucks. <clears throat> All right, so we know people that are obsessed. It's not weird to be... Okay, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't say that. It's not unusual to be obsessed. Several people in the room seem to be confessing to their obsession with several different things. So why then, when we start talking about being obsessed with the things of God... People roll their eyes. Oh, I believe in God, but I'm not going to be crazy like you. Oh, I believe in God, but that's obsessive. Well, why, why? You're obsessed with your sports team or your job. or It's not unusual to be obsessed. And, and what I'm seeing in the scripture, especially with this verse, is it, it's one of the things that God wants from us. He wants us to be singularly focused upon him. So this morning I want to unpack that a little bit and see what does that look like a little bit. Now, in the book it goes a particular direction with the obsession, and I'd like to open it up a little bit wider because I believe that when we have an obsession with the Lord, it's different for each one of us. Um, not that uh, one thing that's that's right for one is not right for the other. But when we are obsessed with a person, that obsession, while still consistent over time, changes over time. For example, if you are single and you found the one and you've been together for three, four, five weeks, two months, whatever, what does obsession look like in that brand new relationship, all right? There, there's maybe lots of flowers and cards and notes and time on the phone and ridiculous amounts of public displays of affection, all right? But 20 years later, that obsession looks different. I'm obsessed with my wife, but I don't have to have my hands on her arms and and holding her hand around all the time. When we were when we were at the theme park last week, you could see young couples, and they were. It's like they always had to be, always had to be touching, just to prove that they were had ownership. This is my daughter, so that's a little weird. Um, <laughs> but that they always had to have possession. This one's mine. No, all right. But, but when we have confidence in our obsession over a long period of time, that my wife knows that I love her. I don't have to be having a hand on her public display of affection at all times. It would weird her out anyways because she's not that kind of person. But the way that I display that after almost 20 years together, uh, a long walk together shows my obsession. Um, putting my technology away during conversations shows <laughs> um, maybe doing a chore for your spouse that they hate doing. The way that we display obsession changes depending upon where in the relationship we are. And I have to imagine that 20 years from now that that 
how obsession looks will be different again than it is today. And so that being said, I want to talk about what can or should an obsession with the Lord look like. Now, I've given a definition of faith in the past. I want to review that for a few minutes. For the sake of our conversation this morning and for the sake of any time we're talking about the things of God, I think a very good definition of faith is simply believing that what God says is true. I know that when we're talking about faith in general, that definition can change a little bit, but I think it's a really good one. All right, let me reiterate that. And if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. Faith is simply believing that what God says is true. So when you read a scripture verse like John 3.16, and it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, we believe that God really loved us enough to send his son. What he says is true. That is what faith is for us. Now, does faith ever change for you? Let me put it a different way. Have you ever read anything in the scripture that you had a hard time believing? Yeah, I have. I think that's normal. That's why our faith grows. That's why we talk about having a relationship with the Lord or a walk with God. Because when you walk somewhere, from the time you start to the time you finish, you're constantly getting closer to that destination. So when we have a walk with God, we're constantly getting closer to that destination of of meeting and being with God. So our faith should change over time. God will continue to reveal himself through his word to us. Things that we didn't understand before, or maybe we didn't even believe before, will change. I had a friend in college, the church that he grew up in did not believe in speaking in tongues. They said, oh, you know, it's in the Bible, but it's not for today. They explained it away. That was just, you know, for, for that time in, in life, just for the scripture time. Um, and, and that was fine. We were friends, and, and I believed differently. But he became, he became curious about it because uh, we were in a, a Bible study together, and, and several of us did use that gift of speaking in tongues, not, not in a way to try to weird him out or anything. And, but so he became curious And he started to pray and say, God, my understanding, my belief, my faith is that this isn't for today any longer. But if it is for today, if it's something that you have for me, I'd I'd like to have it. And he continued to pray. He talked with us. We prayed with him, and nothing happened. And so he was like, all right, well, that's fine. Yet laying in bed one night, he couldn't get to sleep. It was racing through his mind, and he was like, God, I... I really, if this is something you have for me today, I really want this. And something happened to him laying there in the bed. He received the gift of tongues, and he began to speak in other tongues. And it was a little bit woe to him. He came and found us at breakfast the next morning and was like, you won't believe it. He was all excited, and it was really cool. And you know what? His faith changed a little bit that day. And that is okay. In fact, I think that that's fantastic. There are going to be things 
that you believed and did five years ago that may be different than things that we'll believe and do next year. That's why it's a living word of God. That's why we grow in our relationship with the Lord. It's changing. So with that in mind, knowing that faith is huge, we, uh, Pastor Rob talked last week about Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. And we see examples of our heroes in the faith doing things that didn't make sense. didn't make sense for Abraham to sacrifice his son on the altar. Yet he took what God said and believed it as true and acted upon it and saw, and saw God intervene. Moses, here he was on Egypt's top ten most wanted list, probably number one. And God told him, go back, set my people free. And he did it. He extended great faith. He believed that what God said was true and acted upon it. You imagine yourself being Noah. And God comes to you and says, I'm going to make it rain. Up to that point, there had never been rain. So for God to come and say, I'm going to make water fall from the sky, is it? You're going to what? This doesn't make any sense, God. I've never seen this happen before. Yet he believed that what God said was true and he acted upon it. So faith is huge. Let me read this for you, uh, something from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, for he who obeys the Lord lives in him. And by this we know that he lives in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now I'm going to give a little curveball to you. Going back to the book of James, chapter 2. It's a little bit of a lengthier text, so I'd like you to listen closely. Verses 14 to 22. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? And thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If someone will say, you have faith, I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, for even the demons believe and tremble. Do you know? Do you want to know, O foolish man, What faith without works is, it's dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect or complete? We were having this conversation during our family devotion times. Uh, We were talking about the idea that, that many times the scripture says that something will be perfect and nothing can be perfect. When the scripture is talking about perfection, it means completion. 
So when he says that your faith may be made perfect, he's talking about it will be completed. Any math people in the room? You like math? All right, here's your equation. Faith plus works equals completion or perfection. Faith minus works is a zero. It's almost like a multiplication problem. Anything times zero is zero. You have faith, you don't have any works with it, it's a zero. If you have works without any faith attached to it, it's a zero. Because we can never earn our salvation. We can never be good enough to make God accept us. We can never. I mean, and there are people that they think that that's the way that it works. If I'm good enough, I get into heaven. Like, like God has a cosmic scale, and every time you do a good thing, He puts it on this side. Every time you do a bad thing, it's on this side. And if, the, and as long as it's a fraction lower on the good side, you get into heaven. That's not how it works. How scary would it be if that was how it worked? Because who's keeping track? Every time you do a good thing and every time you do a bad thing, that'd be a lot to keep track of. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I'm sure I do more good things than bad things. Really? You're sure? Every wrong thought? Every time you tick a little over the speed limit? Every time you take a pen from that place that you're in, every time you, whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about faith, the things that we say are in God's Word, that we believe as truth, and then we add to them works showing that we really do believe it. Anybody can say they believe something. But actions speak louder than words, right? I find it fascinating that faith says, according to Malachi chapter 3, that we are to tithe. We're to give a tithe to the Lord. And do you know that throughout the nation, evangelical Christians, people like us, that say they believe in tithing, that less than 12% actually do. You see, you have to tie what you say you believe with your actions, what you do. Faith says, according to Ephesians 5, that we're not to get drunk. You know an awful lot of Christians that don't tie what they say they believe in the Scripture with their actions. The action that follows that up is that we don't drink in excess. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we're not to fornicate. Now that's an old-fashioned word that just means simply that we're to stay sexually pure before marriage. We know an awful lot of believers that have trouble with that one. Mark 16.16 says, We are to believe and be baptized, and then we'll be saved. Do we believe that? Anyone? You believe this? I believe this. And yet so many believers have not yet been baptized. Why? 
well, you know, there are examples in the scripture where you don't have to be. You know, that's all true. But the thief on the cross didn't have the opportunity to be baptized. Listen, if you've got the opportunity, we'll give it to you as frequently as you want, if not at least once a year at church at the beach. Very fun time. Listen, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. I believe it. Well, then let's put action to it. I'm not, some of you are like, he's looking at me. I'm not looking at you. Here's where it starts to get a little tricky, a little uncomfortable. Matthew 22:39. It says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." That's the faith. That's what the scripture says. That's what we believe because that's what God's word says. But what is the works that we have to marry to that scripture in order to achieve completion? What do we tie with our faith? What works can we perform? How do we show our neighbors that we love them as much as we love ourselves? I didn't write anything down because I don't think I can tell you the answer to that that has to be something between you and the Lord. I would love to hear some ideas. Absolutely. How else? What, let's, let's go back to this question. Who is your neighbor? Right? What did Jesus say when he gave the whole parable of the Good Samaritan? Who is your neighbor? Who, somebody answer this. Who is our neighbor? Who isn't your neighbor? Absolutely. Your neighbor is anybody that God gives you contact with that you could do something to influence for the kingdom of God. So again, the question becomes, how do we love our neighbors as we love ourselves?
house next to us. <laughs> right, right? Yeah. Let's continue this conversation with the next verse because it gets a little more intense. Luke chapter 6.32 says that we are to love our enemies. That adds a whole other layer onto this. Okay, I can love my neighbor because, you know, my na- But he says, no, in fact, we're not just to love our neighbors, we're to love our enemies. Those that hate you guy that throws things at your dog, the guy that yells at your kids. Preaching to myself right now, by the way. We're to pray for those that speak ill of us. We're to do kindness for those that are mean to us. We're not to repay evil for evil, but we're supposed to repay evil with kindness. Listen, this is not an easy thing to do. But the faith saying that what God says is true, love your enemies, needs to be paired with a work, an action. How do we love our enemies? How can we do it? And pray. Just be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't respond. Walk away. Dan touched on it, and Dan touched on it too. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. There is a connection here. When we will allow our faith, what we say we believe to be true, to be paired with actions and works, 
that brings glory to God. When we do something kind for someone, that's great. That doesn't make somebody a Christian. I know unkind Christians. Being good doesn't show people that you're a Christian. Loving your enemy, only Christians do this. It was Jesus who came and died for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was Jesus that gave his life, that ransomed himself, that sacrificed himself for you with no expectation of anything in return. That's the kind of love that we need to be extending. And it's that kind of crazy love that will make people stand up and say, that's, that's unusual. There was a shooting years ago. A couple of guys went into an Amish community and shot into a school and shot down some kids. And the next day, the families came to the shooters and to the shooters' families to tell them, we forgive you. I don't know if I could do that, just to be honest. Someone did something to one of my children, I would find it very hard to go and forgive them. That's what God requires of us. That's the kind of love that would cause the world to stop and go, that's not normal. Why would you do that? And it becomes an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Faith plus works equals completion, perfection, or love. Being obsessed with Jesus, being filled with faith, and compelled to express that faith through our actions is what it's all about. That's the true formula. That we read and we discover what God says and that it's truth. And that our love and our desire and our compassion and our obsession with Jesus is so real that it requires us, it demands of us, action. It's not enough to just say you believe. It's not enough to do good things. The two have to be married together. That's what God's calling us today. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, this morning we're grateful for your many blessings in our lives. Thank you today for the sunshine and that there's no snow. Lord, thank you that you came and you died for us. That you gave us your word. That you gave us the scriptures, not just so we could have a, a, an ancient text or something to talk about, but Lord, that, that you could reveal yourself to us on an ongoing basis. That we could grow to know you more. God, I thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to us. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to meet this challenge. To be able to not just read your word and say, yes, we believe, but to take action and actually do what we say we believe. 
And we would be obsessed in such a way that, that our faith would produce works. And Lord, that that would glorify you. That as people see us doing what we say we believe, that they would want to know more about you. That it would bring glory to your name. That others around us would be blessed. And Lord, those areas that are difficult, loving our neighbors, loving those that are our enemies, you would help us, Lord, to more and more do those things. Because that really was the love that you gave to us. That while we were sinners, you died for us. We were your enemies. You gave your life. Lord, help us to pour out our own lives for others in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. So awesome to see all of you. Um, If you can stay and help us clean up, it would be awesome. We'd appreciate that. If not, we're glad that you were here. Come back again. Lord bless you. And uh, you're dismissed.